podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Let's pray and jump into the word. Father, thank you so much. You have been so present. You have been so active in our service this morning. And I believe that you have a now word for us today. We ask that you give us ears to hear it and receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning, if you would, to the book of Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah chapter 62. And for those of you who are all with us today for the very first time, my name is Jay Duncan have the great privilege of uh, serving Antioch Church in the lead pastor capacity, and I'm just delighted that you're here with us today. would love to meet you uh, if the opportunity allows for you after service. I'll be up here in the front. Otherwise, we'll find another time for us to meet either at our guest dinner that happens every other month or maybe out there in the hall as you come in. Isaiah 62, beginning in verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. Till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings will see your glory. And you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Let me talk here just for a few minutes as we just have a little bit of time to expound on this. I I think there's a lot of places that we could go. And um, a lot of what we could pull out from this verse in terms of, or these verses in terms of where we sit today I honestly feel like the Lord has been sharing these things in multiple capacities all morning long. And so I'm going to pull some attention on that. But before I do that, uh, let me give you just a, a, a tip on how to particularly read the Old Testament and how to read the Old Testament prophets. Because we have the benefit and the blessing of sitting way on this side of the timeline chronologically. And between the time that Isaiah wrote that and the time that we're at today, thousands of years between the time he wrote this and today, we have the amazing luxury of knowing that there was that that milestone moment in history where Christ came, Christ was crucified, Christ was resurrected, and everything changed as a result of that. But for us to be faithful to the scriptures as Christians, we have to actually work very diligently to not read our Christianity into the Old Testament. Because all of the Old Testament writers 
did not have the luxury of seeing and encountering and experiencing what we have in Jesus. And so there were real life scenarios that were going on and that somehow in the mystery and sovereignty of God and in the act of God speaking, he was speaking to something that was so real that they were walking through in that moment in their setting and situation in life in the context of their story but that was also speaking to the future. And sometimes it was speaking to an immediate future, like the birth of Christ. Sometimes it was speaking to an eschatological future, meaning the future of the end time that we're all looking forward to. Have I lost everybody completely? We're all together. So we have to really be diligent and we have to be faithful in the handling, particularly of the Old Testament, to not just what some scholars say, read our Christianity into this. This was written by Jews to Jews in a particular setting in life. And as we have mentioned before, Isaiah is written really with three sections. And we've been spending a lot of time bouncing around in the third section, which the third section beginning in Isaiah 56 through 66 was written to the people of Israel after they were released from exile. So The first 40 chapters were written to the people of Israel before they went into exile. And then we have 41 through 55 that was written while they were in exile under Babylonian uh, empire rule. And then they're released. Now, here's here's where we're going to go in the next 15, 12 minutes. This This is really interesting because... Everything that constituted them as a people, their land and the temple were destroyed. It was ravaged. It was ransacked. It was looted. It was burned with fire. I mean, the glory of Solomon's temple, ashes. And so a people's identity, their identity as the chosen and beloved of God was in question. And it was all in question, as we said last week, because of their own choices, because of their own sin, their own idolatry. They turned away from God. They worshiped other idols. Uh, They put their trust in other idols. They put their trust in themselves. Uh, There were major lewd acts that were going on. Spiritual leaders from the kings all the way down to the priests were, were acting wickedly and corruptly. And over many, many years of God pleading with them, and demonstrating patience towards them, said, listen, judgment's going to come if you do not change this. And they refused to change. They were sent into exile. Their identity is in question. They're in exile for numerous years. And then God sovereignly moves upon the leader of another nation, a man by the name of Cyrus, who comes, destroys Babylon, and says, I'm going to send, by decree, all the people of Israel back to their homeland. And here's what's fascinating. What do you do when your life falls apart? What do you do when all hell breaks loose, when everything that was firm is shattered to dust, when everything that you thought was solid and that you thought was trustworthy, that you held on to and you placed faith in is no longer there and it's time to rebuild? What do you do? Because some of the people had actually gotten so uh, full of despair that they said, we don't even want to go back. 
I mean, think about that. Here you are, you have a national identity as a people. You are the people of the covenant. You're the people of the promise. You're the people of the temple. You're displaced. And now you're so flooded with hopelessness because of the effects of exile. You're saying, I don't even want to go back to that. I can't, I can't, I can't see the temple in its ruins. I can't go back to our land and not see it green and flourishing and full of life and full of blessing and full of promise. And some people actually chose to stay in Babylon even after Cyrus said, you can go back. There was a handful that chose to go back. There's a remnant that chose to go back. And I want you to try to put this into your prophetic imagination, what that must feel like being a post-exilic period, stripped, stripped, And not only are you stripped, I want you to look at this verse here in Isaiah 62. He says in verse four, no longer will they call you deserted. Jerusalem was now the mockery of the nations. It was the mockery of the nations. No longer will your land be called desolate, not fruitful, not life-giving, not flourishing, not prosperous, not bountiful. Have you ever been through a season in life where you felt like this is you? You feel desolate, you feel fruitless, you feel barren, you feel abandoned because that's exactly what a post-exilic Israel felt. Look at this word right here. This is, this is I think, powerful. Starting with verse two, the nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory and you will be called by a new name. You'll be called by a new name. The word that I just want to pronounce over you that has been spoken all morning long is that the, the, love, of the, the love of God, the love of the Father, no, no matter what season of life we're in, it is more powerful. What, what do you do when everything falls apart and it's time to rebuild? Well, here's what's really fascinating. When you go to verse one, look at verse one. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. This is just kind of a funny, nerdy, little biblical literary deal, but nobody can can agree on who the I is in this verse. Look at this. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. I've, I've consulted numerous commentaries on this, and here's what's hilarious. I went to one, and with just... And and just emphatic conviction, the author says, well, clearly this is God speaking, right? I will not be silent anymore. And then I went to another one and with just as much gusto and conviction, the author says, clearly this is the prophet speaking. And there is, and then you'll have, you'll have some more seasoned commentators and theologians go, it's uncertain and it's unknown. And that might mess with us a little bit, but if you could just pause here for a second, because I want to approach this for two angles as we wrap this up. Let's say it's God. Let's say it's God. Let's say the author in Isaiah 62, verse one, if we could put that back on the screen, HJ, if we could. And I want us to read into this, if this is God. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a blazing torch. Now, 
it would not be unfaithful for us to look at this and to say, God is committed to his word and his covenant and his promise. And though there was a season where it seemed like God was silent to the people of Israel, though it was a season where it felt like he was just pulling back, God is saying, I'm not pulling back any longer. I've always remained faithful to you. I've always remained committed to you and I'm fighting on your behalf and now it's time for me to speak and I'm gonna keep speaking until the promises that I've made over you, Israel, and to the nations, both now and eschatologically come forth. And we can go, yes, put your faith in that. Anchor yourself in the fact that even though it seems like God is silent, there will come a day, there will come a moment in the midst of you having to rebuild your life and your family and your future and your finances and your career and your faith even that God will speak in and say, I'm not gonna be silent anymore. It's time to speak again over your life. And we say, yes, God, speak. We wanna hear you speak until our salvation breaks forth like the dawn. Because, and I mean, think even that language, so it breaks forth like the dawn. Light will come into your darkness when the voice of God speaks again over your life. And friend, I'm here to gospelly proclaim over you and prophetically announce over you, the voice of the Lord will speak again over your life in your darkest hour and it will shine like the dawn. Now let's say it's the prophet, the unknown prophet. Let's say it's the prophet who is saying, I will not keep silent. How do we interpret that? How do we look at that faithfully? Many commentators will say that it is the prophet who is stepping in, anchored to the promises of God, and he or she is saying, I will not keep silent, and I will not be quiet until I see the promises that God has made come to pass, and so I will intercede. And I will speak and I will declare and I will announce and I will pray and I will prophesy and I will sing and I will not be silent until I see that which God said come to pass. So either way that we look at this, even though commentators may disagree, I think theologically we can be faithful and saying that, hey, God has not given up on us. He will speak again. And what do we do in that season of silence? We take what God has spoken and we, we speak it until we see that which God has said come to pass in our lives. Friend, I, I want to just encourage your hearts. As I was in worship all morning long, you know, when, when you're privy to certain things, when you have a certain lens, you start to see them everywhere. But in the song that we sing about the table, it says, come just as you are. Come just as you are. You know, in our sonship class and our daughterhood class on the Father's love, we're talking about the fact that in Colossians 2, 6, and 7, the scripture says that just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live in him. And so we began as a class to talk about what that looked like. How did we receive Christ? Well, every single one of us, when we came to Christ, no one said, well, you gotta get your life put back together and you gotta start doing the right things and you gotta pray certain, certain amount of hours a day and read certain amount of scriptures. None of us came to Christ that way. Every single one of us came to Christ 
by nothing more than faith in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which says, it is by grace alone that you have been saved by faith in the name of God. And we knew, God, this is all you. If you're gonna invite me into your family, it is all you and it's not of me, but something changed. What happened? It's like Paul said to the Galatians, who cut in on you? Who intercepted, who interrupted your race? You were living a life of grace where you understood that everything that I do in God is because of God, it's not because of me. And everything that I do, I'm participating with God, but I'm participating because of his grace, which is always first. His grace is always first. And then somewhere along the way, we said, well, it's, it's really about my performance. It's really about my religious duties. It's really about how disciplined I can be. It's really about how eloquent I can sound. It's really about how often I go to a service. It's really about how many mission trips I do, how much money I give, how kind of, it has nothing to do with that. And then we just rested on this as we close. We rested on 1 John four nineteen, which says, but the, herein is the love of God. Not that we loved God, but that God first loved us. And we're just gonna connect this to Isaiah chapter 55 because before you ever did one thing right, he loved you first. Before you prayed a prayer of salvation, he loved you first. Before you lifted up your hands, before you got baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, he loved you first. Before you even knew to love him, he loved you first. Before you ever had one ounce of theological revelation, he loved you first. Before you made one movement towards being kind to someone else, he loved you first. He loved you first. His love is always first. And it wasn't just first one time historically, it is first every time. It is first every time. He loved you first when you were in the depths of your sin. He loved you first when you hated him. He loved you first when you didn't care a thing about him. He loved you first when you'd prefer to party all night and not come to church. He loved you first when you were hiding, when you were hiding, when you were hiding either because you were ashamed or you were hiding because you didn't want to get caught because you really loved what you were doing more than you loved God. And listen, he loved you even then and he loved you first. He loved you first. He loved you first. And that's the message here in Isaiah 62, verse one, where God is saying, or the prophet is affirming of God that because of the first love of God, that even though we have walked through discipline and judgment and fire and exile, even though it seems like it's impossible to put our life together, before they ever got back to Jerusalem, he was there waiting on them to put the pieces back together because his, his love went first. His love went ahead first. It was there first. So wherever you are, wherever God has called you to be, his love is already there waiting on you. It's waiting on you. It's waiting for you. Because his love is always first. It's always first. Nothing that you can ever do can earn or merit or win the love of God. Nothing we do is ever first in the economy of God. Nothing, nothing is ever first with us. And so I wanna read this verse over you one more time as we come to the table. And now, as we can see this thing properly in its Old Testament context, and now as we move this forward and we see the fulfillment of the love of God in Christ Jesus and the ministers of the table, you guys can come in place. We're gonna read this now. And it is, it is appropriate for us even to allow the unchanging character of God for the sake of the Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. 
for the sake of the destiny and the future of the people of God, for the sake of your destiny, for the sake of the things that God has begun in your life. Jeremiah 1.5 says that when you were still in your mother's womb, he knew you. And listen, for those things that he has written over your life, God's not gonna keep silent over you. He's not gonna keep silent. In fact, how many of you would be here today and you would just say, I feel like the Lord has been silent. Let me just see some hands today. The Lord has been silent. I feel like I've been knocking. I feel like I've been seeking. I feel like I've been pushing. I've been pressing in. I just announce over you today, there is coming a moment. Ruth, there is coming a day. There is coming a day. Randall, Jesse, Matt, I'm telling you today, I don't know when it is, but I'm announcing to you with all the faith I have in my being, there is coming a moment when he will not be silent over you any longer and he will not remain quiet. And you will hear the voice of the Lord, Brian. You will hear him in the midnight hour. You will hear him early in the morning. You will hear him on your commute to work. You will hear him in a song. You will hear him in a river. You will hear him in the word. You will hear him in the voice of your spouse. You will hear him in previous journal entries. You will hear him in the depths of your spirit because God has promised to you that he will speak again and he will not remain silent for your sake and for the sake of his kingdom and for the sake of his name, he will not remain silent over you. Till your righteousness shines out like the dawn. And it's not a righteousness of our own. It is a righteousness that is only found in Christ Jesus. And that is why we come to this table. That is why we come to this table. And remember, I love this, guys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna slice this up a billion ways before this is all done. Before you ever came, before you woke up this morning, before you woke up praying in tongues, Jesus set a table before you. Scripture says, before the foundations of the earth, Christ was crucified. He loved you first. He went ahead. He made preparation. He found a room. He laid his life down. He poured out his blood. He set forth his body. And today we come in response to the initiation of the first love of God to receive until our righteousness will shine forth like the dawn. And I speak today over you. Your righteousness, Antioch, will shine forth like the dawn. Shame will fall off of you and your righteousness will shine forth like the dawn. Brokenness, the pieces of Jerusalem will be put back together. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory and you will be called by a new name. And I just declare over you today, Antioch, whatever name you've been speaking over yourself, whatever name a parent or a teacher or a pastor or a previous spouse has spoken over you, good for nothing you'll never change you'll always be like your father you've never had a father uh, I'm here to declare over you that God says he's given you a new name you are son and you are daughter and you are beautiful and you are beloved you are not forsaken you are not forsaken you are not that is not your name you are not desolate you are not barren you are not fruitless that is not your name you're not always going to be sick that is not your name that is not your name your name is chosen one your name is precious your name is the one that i will fight for your name is passionate your name is strong your name is my beloved that is your 
name. That is the name that he died for. That is the name that he put on you. And I declare over you today, take the old name off of you. Take the old label off of you and take on that new name. Ask him, oh, Holy Spirit, speak your new name over us. Speak your new name like Abram went to Abraham, like Jacob, that swindler, deceiver, got turned into Israel, like Simon got turned into the rock. Peter, I hear, I'm here to announce that there is a new name of freedom over your life. Your name is not shame. Your name is not bondage. Your name is freedom. Your name is freedom. Your name is freedom. That is who you are. And you will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand. You will be a royal diadem in the hand of your God. That is who you are. You are royalty and you are priceless and you are worth fighting for. You are worth fighting for. Jonathan said it today. He says, you've always pursued us. You've never stopped pursuing us. And I'm here to declare over you, you are worth fighting for. You are the most priceless of God's resources in his kingdom. You will be a crown of splendor. No longer will they call you deserted or your name desolate. You will be called Hezbollah, your land Beulah. Your name will be called married, covenanted one, for the Lord will take delight in you. Stand to your feet this morning as Antioch almost called you Israel. <laughs> Stand to your feet. I'm here to declare over you the Lord delights in you. He delights in you. Not for a second, not for a second. Do not allow the enemy to rob one second of intimacy. Do not allow the enemy to take one second of intimacy. Don't allow him to take one moment, one moment, one memory that you can make with God. He's not worth that, but Christ is worth it all. So today as we come to the table of the Lord, Jesus, we thank you that you, you came to this table first. And Jesus, in fact, it is you here that is presiding over this table. It is you here that is breaking the body. It is you here that is pouring out the blood. It is you here saying, come unto me, all you who are weary. Come as you are. Come as you are. Come to the Father. Come to the Father's amazing love. Come and be washed in forgiveness. Come and be washed in grace. Come kiss mercy. Come be embraced in the passion of my love. Come find your new name. Come to this table. Antioch, I want to invite you to come this morning to the table of the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.